Miami Marlins prospect coverage brought to you by earning their stripes here on the Fist Stripes podcast channel. It's Eli Sussman. The COVID-19 pandemic presents unique challenges to Marlins player development in 2020. The lack of a minor league baseball season has compelled most MLB teams, including the Marlins, to release dozens of young players. As for the rest, only a small percentage of them could be squeezed onto the club's player pool for the year. 60-man limit for major leaguers and prospects combined. Really tight fit. Uh, So we will be diving into the difficult decisions that have been made here on the eve of quote-unquote summer camp and uh, perhaps a few closing thoughts on the Marlins 2020 draft class too. Some of those players that were released in the aftermath of the draft, we're going to be hopping around on a lot of different topics in this uh, unprecedented situation when it comes to player development. So who is here with me? I got three of my colleagues joining me on the call. Ethan Badowski. Hey, Ethan. How are we doing today, guys? Good to be back. Good to be back. Good to be back with a lot of stuff to talk about. Ian Smith, what's happening? How's it going, my friends? Glad to be here talking about some Marlins baseball. And Spencer Morris. Hey, Spencer. Hey, everybody. Let's talk some baseball. Lots of baseball. Well, I guess lots of baseball to talk about. Not a lot of actual baseball being played. It's only going to be a 60-game season. Minor league baseball, probably not going to happen. Other uh, organized games for prospects kind of up in the air at the moment. But uh, we got big news on Sunday. That's when the Marlins announced their player pool. And since then, on Monday, Michael Hill followed up by confirming all 60 guys that are going to be in that player pool. Nearly half of them are prospects. And uh, all the familiar faces that we talked about during times in spring training and uh, at least one brand new guy to the organization as well. There's never been anything like this ever, uh, of course, trying to combine prospects and major leaguers into this one pool, deciding who deserves priority and trying to factor in whether those players can help you at the major league level or whether you're comfortable just focusing on uh, improving their skills on the backfields at their alternate site in Jupiter I'll start with Ethan here. Uh, how the choices compared, your, the expectations versus the reality, or what maybe you might have done differently with this player pool compared to what the Marlins actually did? Yeah, I think there weren't a ton of uh, surprises. You know, uh, It's obviously very exciting when you see, I think the number is 20 of the top 30 uh, prospects in the system making the list and uh, getting a chance to you know, kind of have another spring training and get some ABs with the big clubs. So uh, it's it's uh, definitely very exciting. I mean, you know, you see all the big names and they jump off the page at you um, right away. You know, Monte and Jazz and Sixto and Eddie and, uh, you know, Gerard and Carnacion is on there. So, you know, I think the one kind of snub that you would you could say um, from the list is uh, Victor, Victor Mesa. Um, you know, he's just you know, a a headline prospect, even though he's not towards the top of anybody's list anymore. Um, He's still that big $5 million signing that the Marlins um, brought in, you know, a couple years ago. And, um, you know, we all know how the first year, the first full year of pro ball went. Um, So to see him not make the roster uh, is a little bit disappointing. And I think that's the biggest, you know, snub standout. But I don't really think that, uh, you know, there's anybody else egregious that was left off. I think it's all pretty uh, standard. I mean, I would agree that it more or less fell in line with what I would have expected. Um, It was a little bit of a surprise to see like Jose Devers on there. Just um, who's a guy who like, I don't think is particularly close at all to being ready, but I mean, perhaps that's just kind of a, a nod to him from the organization. Uh, that they like the work that he's put in. So they're kind of giving him a, a reward by keeping him, you know, with the big league club during this upcoming season. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think that there wasn't anybody who I really wanted to see on there who didn't. 
so uh, from that perspective, I I was pleased with the list they put out. And it was just earlier today that we got some confirmation from Michael Hill about Max Meyer, the first round draft pick, who at this moment is still not officially signed. Uh, but I mean, we talked about in a couple episodes prior to this, Spencer, about how close he is to being major league ready. And maybe if that's not exactly the plan for this season, uh, I'm sure you're pleased to see him included in this pool, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think that if, you know, if the Marlins want him to contribute out of the bullpen this year, I think he can absolutely answer that call. I mean, there's definitely some, some little kinks to work out in terms of him as a big league starting pitcher. Um, and before you kind of throw him out there in that role, I think you want to see him make some minor league starts first and work on a couple of things. But you look at the fastball slider he has right now. I mean, I think that you can put that one-two punch up with just about any just about any big league reliever right now. Um, I'm not saying that he'd immediately be the best closer in the league, but I think that once he kind of got his feet under him at the big league level, he'd immediately be a back-inning bullpen option. So, I, you know, maybe the Marlins end up playing meaningful baseball. Maybe they're able to stay in the hunt kind of deep into this short season. I think he's absolutely a guy that I would look to to try to give my uh, the back of my bullpen a little extra juice. Yeah, I mean, it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Marlins kind of handle, especially with the first, uh, I think it's what, two weeks, you get a 30-man roster. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how, uh, the Marlins handle some of these extra spots. Uh, Ian and I talked about this on Twitter that it just doesn't really seem like the biggest, you know, need to get him right into the major leagues. Obviously, you want to see your, you know, top uh, prospects throw innings in their first year, you know, or your top draft picks, I mean. But considering the circumstances and the way that he would be able to get innings, you know, I, I don't know. But I mean, I think. A lot of the rosters, the extra roster spots are going to be used for relief arms um, rather than, you know, bringing up all the big bats that we all want to see, um, which is why I don't, you know, I'm not as excited about this list as some other people might be, but I guess we'll get to that in a second. But, um, you know, I think a lot of the extra spots are going to be relief arms to help ease the uh, pain of this short season in this sprint that we're going to go through. And so I think that sort of that high on him you know i mean there's no you know why not i mean if if you want to if you're in a go for it now mode and you think he gives you the best chance to win um go for it so because the marlins everybody knows we you know rebuilding teams can always use relief help so uh, i i think it'll be uh interesting to see how they handle the meyer situation but like a lot of these big names you know i i don't know how much we should realistically expect to see from them uh, in the majors this year. You're you're right on the same page with Luis Davila, who just put up an article on our site today. First edition of our opening day roster projections, you know, trimming the 60 guys down to 30. And it's probably a pretty unpopular projection because he kept like all the big name prospects off of it uh, for various reasons. He like good explanations for it, but no jazz yet, no Monte yet in his, his estimation. That's something we're going to update on the site a couple of times during this, this summer camp as we get like more intel as to who's actually winning these roster battles and how it all fits together. But uh, that transitions into how they are splitting up this player pool because due to obvious issues, uh, concerns with COVID-19 and wanting to keep social distance, they need to split this group between Marlins Park and the Jupiter facility, and, like a varsity team and a JV team. Based on the uh, way they split it up, it's about two-thirds of the guys are at Marlins Park mostly the 40-man roster, but also a couple intriguing guys from outside the 40-man. And the rest in Jupiter are almost all guys that don't have any major league experience yet and seem pretty unlikely to debut this year or less likely to debut than some of the other prospects that are up at Marlins Park. So we'll, we'll start with the Marlins Park group and just the prospects that are included in there. Jazz Chisholm, Monte Harrison, Nick Neidert, Sterling Sharp, Alex Vessia, and who was the other one? Uh, a couple minor. Sixto, right? No, not Sixto. Sixto. Interesting. We'll get him in a minute. He's in Jupiter. And also, uh, Robert Duggar still has prospect eligibility, even though he came up late last year. Still, still technically eligible for that, and he is part of the Marlins Park training group. 
too. Um, so among those guys, we know Sterling Sharp is pretty much locked in to the active mm-hmm. roster because of his Rule 5 status. Mm-hmm. Um, among all those other guys, uh, who do we think is most likely to sneak onto the opening day roster outside of Sharp among those prospects? I'll start here. Oh, go ahead, Spencer. Go ahead. I mean, I think in terms of opening day roster, I think best chance would be uh, Vezina. Um, I think that with what he's shown in the minor leagues uh, recent history, I think that I'd be comfortable putting him in the opening day bullpen. I think that Nick Nider really isn't too far behind. I think he'll probably make uh, appearances this year in some capacity. I could see it being either relief or rotation for him. But um, if I were making the decisions, I would go ahead and put Vezzi in the opening day bullpen. I think he's ready. Yeah, that's the first guy that jumps out at me too. Um, like I said, you know, the Marlins are going to need help in the pen and they're going to need arms. And uh, he was so dominant last year, and I think he's right on the cusp anyway. And we, we've all been talking about how this was his year to come up. So I think that's definitely a guy you'll see on the opening day roster. I'd be surprised if he isn't. Um, other guys, I would love to see Monte make make it. Um, if he just has a good spring and, you know, they like what he, what they see from him, he had a good year last year before he got hurt. And I really liked what I was seeing from him. And I was thinking that he was really close to getting a September call up. He's going to be 25 in August. Like the clock's ticking a little bit, you know what I mean? It's time to, you know, get this guy up and, and get him, you know, where he needs to like to see him at some point i don't know if it'll be opening day i got into an argument with joe frasaro about this about there's no point if he's not starting and and that i guess that's true but you know why not start him uh, i think he's ready i think he's ready to play in the big leagues so i would i would like to see monte on the opening day roster but yeah once you get down that line Nider was due for a call-up at some point this year, so I think that's possible. Sixto was due for a call-up at some point this year, so I think that's possible too, but maybe not on the opening day roster. And then Jazz was just at double-A last year. Um, I think it would be pushing it. And then you know we'll get into some of these Jupiter guys, but I think really it's the major league-ready prospects you know that are a little down the line, like Thessia, and then it's like Nider and Sixto and Monte, even though... I'm very surprised that Sixto is going to be in Jupiter rather than Marlins Park. The thing with uh, Monte, I had a conversation with Lewis about this because I was trying to push him to put like, Monte on his projected roster. I, I think that's probably what, what I would do, but it's contingent on clearing another outfielder out of the way because they do have so many right. outfielders right now right. that are not just on their 40 man, but are on, were on the active roster last year that don't have as many minor <clears throat> options left. They just, it's simply that, that how much depth they yeah. have at the positions, even though Monte has about a high, probably a higher ceiling than all the guys ahead of him. If everything goes right with his career, it's simply having everybody yeah. else in front of him. And until you start the clock on him, then there are ways to delay it. At the same time, it's going to be a very strange optic if he's not on the roster because without there being any minor league games for him to play. Yeah. And this is really one of the big unknowns about this entire year. Well, there are many unknowns about this entire year, including whether or not he's going to get through it or not. But one of them being no minor league, no official minor league baseball games, how exactly that, whether it's in Jupiter or um, whatever ways that they're going to try to simulate that game action and, and have it be as valuable to those players as normal minor league baseball would be you can't physically send Monte to one of these affiliates to play quote every day. That's usually the, that's usually the line of thinking that we hear from baseball execs when they don't want to call it prospects. They say, Oh, we want him playing every day at blank. And if he's not like technically playing official games anywhere, and um, it's just a strange excuse for a guy that performed at AAA, who's been through the Arizona Fall League, who played in the Puerto Rican Winter League, who played well in spring training, recently is just ready for that next step. And that's a a problem, Eli, that the Marlins are going to have for for a while now, is there's only three spots in the outfield. And there are so many, there's so much talent in the outfield in this system. And so... On opening day, you know, you have guys that have secured major league roster spots. I mean, you sign Corey Dickerson. That was one of your big free agent signings. He's got to start opening day. You know, you have 
Uh, I think Brian Anderson's probably going to start at third base, but now what do you do with Brinson, VR, Cooper? I mean, even you can uh, Harold Ramirez, Joyce. Yeah, all these guys. Where do you put them? You know, at some point, it's like, what do you do with all this this talent that you've accumulated? And obviously, you know, a lot of guys on the rock right now aren't the long-term answers um, at these spots. But this is what Monte is facing. This is who's in front of him. And in a season where, you know, maybe results don't matter as much as they should have, um, you know, if it were in a 162-game season, um, where you're talking about wanting to win 70 games, then maybe they take a chance on a guy like Monte and and say, go ahead, kids, show us what you got. You know what I mean? Because of what you said, Eli, which is he's not going to be playing minor league games this year. He's not going to be in Wichita. He's not going to be um, you know, playing every night and putting up numbers for us to see. So at some point, like I said, he turns 25 in August and he'll be nearly 26 by the time the season comes around next year. I want to see this guy in the show. I'm ready to see him in the show. Yeah, I mean, I think with the 30-man active roster, you're probably going to be carrying at least five outfielders, right? Would be my thinking. And, I mean, obviously, yeah. Joyce, Joyce and Dickerson are going to be locked into steady playing time, uh, more or less everyday roles. Uh, and you're going to carry Cooper, I would assume. But to me, like, if – if your line is that you're trying to win as many games as possible from right out of the gates this year, you want to compete for the playoffs, then I can see leaving off Monte. But because I think that, you know, somebody like Magnaris Sierra gives you a little bit more value <laughs> as a pure bench player, just because he's a little more polished as a base runner and center fielder. Um, it has a little bit of big league experience, but I think if your goal this year is to get some experience for your young players, if that's in your thinking at all, then I would go, I would want to carry Monte from day one, because I think long-term he has the potential to offer you a heck of a lot more than anybody else who's going to be on your opening in your opening day outfield. Um, Obviously, they have some prospects who are a little bit further away, who maybe have even more upside than Harrison does. But I, yeah, I think that, you know, Monte, he's not over the hill yet. George Springer didn't really get established in the big leagues until he was 25. So there's still time for it to happen. And uh, this situation kind of puts him in a bind with players like that. But I think, you know, he was starting to put it together at AAA last year. I think his approach, he was showing real changes and positive ones. And, I mean, in a perfect world, you get him a few more weeks to a month of AAA bats, but those aren't there. So I think that you you just as well throw him into the major league mix and see what he can do with some limited appearances, maybe help jumpstart his confidence a little if he has some success. Two other minor leaguers that I wanted to mention that are part of this group at Marlins Park. They're I wouldn't they're not really conventional prospects because uh, I think both of them are about 30 years old, but just really interesting stories. Infielder Eddie Alvarez, who is a Miami native, who competed at the Olympics, won an Olympic medal in speed skating and went away from baseball for a few years. He came back to baseball in his mid-20s, had overcame some significant knee injuries. And then he tore it up last year at AAA New Orleans. He almost broke through to the active roster and he was invited to major leagues from training. And now he's still with the team as part of this player pool. I just think he's a really cool story. A switch hitter as well. Switch hitter with a really unusual story. And uh, Aaron Northcraft, who is a guy that we've spoken to on fish stripes over the winter, who um, had, he had Tommy John surgery and then he had complications from that surgery as well. That like knocked him out of, like competitive games for about two years. And then all of a sudden he changed his arm slot. He like rediscovered himself uh, playing winter ball, I think in the Dominican Republic had a lot of success there. And then last year at AAA in the Mariners organization, a lot of success. And he seemed to have a really strong case of cracking the roster as well during the normal spring training. And let's see where he picks up. If he can pick up where he left off, but both those guys trying to sneak onto the roster and uh, just some fun stories to follow uh, throughout this short season and then we'll switch over now to the Jupiter training group, which for now officially only has 17 guys in it. 
we're expecting probably Max Meyer to be in that group as well. It's, it's generally the guys that are, some of them, I guess you could say, are farther away from reaching the majors, although a few of them do have a lot of AAA experience as well. So it's not, we shouldn't really assume too much from the way that this is divided up, other than um, it probably reflects how the organization feels about them as opening day candidates, not really much beyond that. And the team tried to emphasize that these guys can actually switch up during the spring. Like they're not locked into these places. They're not being isolated at these facilities. They're, they're living wherever they're living. And uh, so it's subject to change over the next few weeks, but lots of guys, um, should I, should I name all of them? Lots of names. Of course, uh, the one surprise that I think we mentioned really briefly already was Will Banfield. Uh, Banfield is, he's the second youngest guy in this entire player pool. The youngest is actually Jose Devers, who Spencer mentioned before, both <laughs> guys 20 years old, have been in the organization for a couple of years. Um, Leyland Diaz, J.J. Bladey, the 2019 first-round draft pick, Gerard, Gerard Encarnacion, Jesus Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, Sixto Sanchez, George Guzman, Jordan Holloway, Humberto Mejia. All these guys are top 30 prospects in the organization. And uh, most importantly, not most importantly, but also on that same level, Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers, um, and then a couple guys here that are just relief-only pitchers as well, Tommy Eveld, Daniel Castano, and Johan Quezada, who I'm going to go into a little bit more later. But, I mean... Uh, it's really these guys are. It's an incredible group right here. That's um, and I guess Ban. It really does like signal how they feel about Banfield. He's a guy that I think fell down our own personal list uh, over yeah. the winter because he struggled so much offensively at Clinton last year. But uh, the fact that they have him as just one of two catchers in this group, they're trusting him to be the battery mate of these guys as they're going through bullpen sessions and simulated games. Uh, I think that just speaks to how they feel, I guess, about his defensive potential and uh, just the way that he calls a good game and things that he can do to potentially help them win as a team, even things that are difficult to quantify. Yeah, I think that Banfield is, you know, the only reason he's on this roster is is defense. Uh, you know, he can play major league defense at the catcher position right now. Um, so the Marlins lack a lot of catching depth and the fact that a guy that hit 180 in a uh, low a baseball last year is in this pool kind of shows where the Marlins are at in terms of the catcher position. We talked about it on the draft special. Um, I'm really surprised that they didn't add a catcher into the organization, but because of that, here we are with Banfield and he's really your only option right now uh, in an emergency. So, um, it, you know, in a way it's a surprise because the statistics are so glaring and they just kind of punch you in the face. Um, but at the same time, it really shows where the Marlins are at at that position. So I was just going to say, I think you can make a case that Banfield might be today the second best defensive catcher in the organization after Alfaro. Um, I think, you know, you go back to his, his prep days, he's, always been a very advanced defensive catcher really understands the position and um any evaluator i've ever read on banfield has always praised kind of those leadership qualities that are really important at that position um but i can't help but think looking at this group of catchers that uh maybe it would have been a good idea to hang on to tyler heineman i mean i i know that he's kind of a journeyman guy uh it took him until he was i think 28 to make it to the big leagues but He's always been a guy who hit a little bit in the minor leagues. He had a little bit of success in his cup of coffee. Um, and I think I'd probably rather have him in my camp than a lot of these names in, uh, there at the catcher position. Uh, pretty low leverage move there, but just something I thought about. No, there was a big deal back in uh, – it was right after the regular season ended that they uh, released him. Um, even He had that very brief appearance, of course, in the majors, as you mentioned, and hit – a very atypically strong offensive production from him in at AAA last year. And, and there was um, some people that saw the very small sample size of him in the majors and won him around by all accounts, a great guy. And you're right. They didn't like totally fill the void. They of course invited a few more catchers to spring training. And uh, also in this Jupiter group is Brian Navarretto, who was in the, the twins organization last year. I wonder if there's some sort of connection with uh, their new bench coach, James Rousen, whether he was involved in that, maybe he mm -hmm. 
been working together at the spring facility with the twins the past couple of years, whether that was some sort of recommendation, but it's uh, yeah, not quite the same track record that, that Heineman had. He's in the, he's with the giants now at this point and pretty interesting opportunity for him. But I mean, so many pitchers in this stupid group that are, it's, Oh boy. Um, yeah, and- that's that's the thing. You know, you look at all these pitchers, and um, again, I go back to the fact that in a shortened season, all teams are going to be desperate for arms. And you look at guys that were possibly going to make major league, um, you know, appearances this year. Sixto jumps right at you. Um, Nidert, who's in the other group, but he jumps right at you. Um, you know, I mean, Jordan Holloway is what twenty four, twenty five, and you know, I've said that he would be better. Co- out of the pen and then i think the real big one that nobody's really talking about and it kind of just appeared to me is uh george guzman you know everybody wants to see him as a reliever right like every marlins fan is like put him at the back end i said time and time again that he is going to fight every day to be a starter for the marlins because of the way he pitched at the end of the year last year but maybe he gets a shot, you know, maybe they give him a shot um, with that electric fastball and a good, you know, a breaking pitch that can uh, complement it. Maybe, you know, he gets a chance and maybe he's the guy that the Marlins call on um, to help make a difference at the back end of the pen. I don't think it's very likely, but when you look at guys that are kind of off the radar that you say, hey, maybe, you know, maybe they see some time. I think George Guzman is is a guy that you could watch out for to get some innings at the back end of the pen. Right. I mean, with both of those guys, both Holloway and Guzman, the, t- the clock is ticking a little bit on them because yep. they've been, this is now their second year on the 40-man roster. If you're not going to have them, uh, use another minor league option on them. And uh, both of them, where you, you love their, their first two pitches, you love their fastball and their breaking balls um, in isolation if you don't factor in anything else. And you, and you wonder that stuff plays up even more if they go to the pen. But Marlins have been pretty consistent in terms of developing them in games where they've been exclusively in the rotation. And uh, with Holloway, he was coming off an extremely inconsistent year last year performance-wise where he had excellent peaks and some also very low valleys where he struggled with his control. But with both of them, it's yeah, you want to see how they fit in one way or the other. And yeah. the fact that they have the kind of – they check a lot of the boxes that you want from someone that could be dominant for just one inning at a time. And the fact that they're already on the roster gives them a leg up. And of course, I promised that I was going to talk more about Johan Quezada because Quezada was a guy that was picked up very late in the offseason. This was late January when his deal became official. He's another one that came over from the Twins organization. He was pitching in the Florida State League last year. He's the tallest guy in the organization, six foot nine. And he's uh, not totally filled out, but what's he listed at? Probably like 240, 250 pounds. He's a big guy. He's a big guy with a big fastball. And it's not just the the velo, because that's obviously the first thing that you kind of pay attention to when you look at someone's fastball is just the velo. And he's a guy that is routinely in the mid to high 90s and can touch 100 at times. But it's more so also the spin rate that he has on his fastball. It's one of the higher spin rates of any Marlins prospect. I guess you could call him a prospect, but he's now been in pro ball for like seven years, 25. It'll be 26 later this year where uh, even though he's not on the roster, he's someone that you wonder, there's not really all that much you're going to learn about him from keeping him in the minors. He's someone that if you just bring him up to higher levels and just see whether it all comes together at the major leagues. But he's kind of all about that fastball, uh, not just the velocity, not just the spin rate, but also the ability that he has to like keep the ball down and generate a lot of grounders. Uh, he's only allowed, I think, four home runs in his entire minor league career as well. But it would be a pretty interesting jump competition level, bringing him from high A to the majors. Uh, I think he had a pretty significant injury in the past. And I think I've been talking about him for like a minute and a half, which might be too long because he is he is a big long shot to actually factor into the equation. But he was just I, another that I was, I was really amused by because he wasn't he wasn't on our radars at all. He wasn't at major league spring training in the first place. But um, I'd be really curious about figuring out from the team uh, that why they made that decision to bring him as part of the pool if um, he wasn't 
you know, initially considered in that kind of group a few months ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm pretty intrigued by Kazada. And I do think that uh, I would want to throw him out there this year and just kind of see what I had. I think that with guys like Guzman and Holloway, Holloway in particular, I think the pandemic probably hurt players like that more than anybody else. These are guys who yeah. had really tough time during the last the last time they were out on the field. They're looking to kind of reestablish themselves. And that opportunity may just not be there at all for them. Um, potentially, you know, you can go out in the inner squad, inner squad work and really impress, maybe get into some big league action and get a very limited opportunity to showcase yourself. But it's not going to be nearly as much as what you would have had in a normal minor league season. Um, and I think that, you know, whether it's fair or not, uh, the team is going to be less confident putting somebody like that out when uh, the lights are on, so to speak, uh, yeah. and the games count. Um, but a guy like Kazada, I think, you know, the last time he was on the diamond, he looked pretty good. And like you mentioned, I mean, the, the 6'9 height isn't just kind of like a unique uh, thing in the in the game program it's very advantageous for a pitcher um, and I think that you talk about him kind of being a one pitch guy I think that that helps him kind of mask that lack of secondary stuff because having such a huge frame for one it creates a very awkward angle for the hitter um, just the direction the stuff is coming in from is unique compared to any other pitcher they're seeing it often adds to deception as well and you're talking about adding those dimensions to a fastball that's already plus or better just based on the velocity and spin. Um, I think that's, you know, that's enough for success in the bullpen. I, I mean, I think the kind of classical example of that kind of pitcher is John Rauch, who had a really lengthy big league career as a late inning reliever closer. He was 6'11". Um, I think they could have something there. And I think that he's probably a little bit more um, – polished, a little more ready to go than a Guzman or a Holloway. I do think that Max Meyer is probably more ready to go than any of them, uh, but that's another matter, and there are more variables there. Yeah, I think when you talk about you know a guy like Kazada, I think a lot of the, at the end of the day, a lot of the guys that you're going to see in the majors this year are the projects that are um, you know a little bit older, on the older side of prospect age, that um, they want to get a look at um you know and so i think everybody immediately will look looked at this list and said oh my god gerard's on it and oh my god jazz is on it and oh my god bladey you know what i mean and they said bladey's gonna be playing in the major leagues this year well you know let's let's slow down a little bit let's be a little realistic and you know i i hate to be the pessimist because i want to see bladey and i want to see jazz want to see monte more than anybody so um but we kind of got to be realistic with this there are only 30 roster spots and that's the most that it's getting to and then it's going to only get um you know a, a smaller roster from there so we have to be realistic and we have to look at it and say okay the marlins have said they want to win games and you know maybe that changes but i doubt it does with the way the organization has handled things so they said they want to win games they're only going to take the guys that they see as big league ready as you know and they're going to you know some of these projects like i said are going to be the guys that they're going to give chances to um to kind of show their stuff and show what they got and see if they can stick um and so yeah i think there's a there's a place for a guy like kazada on this roster and, and, and it's the same way that there's a place for a guy in a make or break year like Jordan Holloway, or there's a place for Max Meyer if they're in win now mode and they think to win. So um, I, I think that's the kind of guy you're going to see on the roster. I don't think the, obviously the Marlins aren't going to throw out there a lineup of, you know, nine minor leaguers, but um, I think that we have to kind of tailor our expectations to, the reality of a big league season and the reality of what the big league season, the big league roster would look like in a 162 game season. And we kind of have to look at it and say, okay, add four more guys or five more guys. Who are the five that you add? And um, I don't think that the guys that we want them to add are going to end up being the guys that they're going to add. 
just like every organization has had to make these kind of tough decisions this year uh, with minor league contraction coming up and with the reality that there's only so many opportunities at the major league level. It was uh, it was right after the draft that the Marlins made a bunch of cuts to their minor league organization throughout all levels of the organization. My count is about 41 players that they released uh, just in the past few weeks, guys that um, really weren't all that heavily considered for the player pool, of course, and ones that I guess the organization had some doubts about ever being impactful major leaguers. I'm not going to read all 41 of them on here. Uh, we do have articles on fish stripes that outlines them all and with some brief bio, uh, biographical details about them. Uh, about half were ones from the Dominican Summer League, ones who had never come over stateside, a few that hadn't even played a, a few official games yet. But at the same time, there are a handful that are pretty recognizable. Uh, the ones that jumped out to me the most, uh, we mentioned this, well, I mentioned this on Twitter a few times, uh, how Peyton Culberson was a right-hander that was drafted in the middle rounds for them in 2018, given a six-figure signing bonus. And uh, just based on reports from what he was looking like in the backfields in Jupiter this spring, had made a lot of strides with his breaking ball. He already had a plus fastball. The question is whether he would uh, be consistent enough with his delivery, whether he would develop enough of the rest of his pitch mix in order to be effective. And uh, the signs from him were pretty encouraging this spring, only 23 years old. And as I said, like given a big signing bonus by the current front office and yet released um, in this purge from the organization, uh, but a bunch of other ones that are recognizable from the, the same draft, Milton Smith, the second, who uh, was, was not someone as all that projectable as an outfielder came from a community college in Mississippi, Meridian community college, uh, same school as actually Corey Dickerson went to before he came to the pros and he won the highest batting averages in the entire organization the past couple of years. Yeah. Just in terms, I imagine that he was pretty surprised by being let go, but of course he hadn't been tested at higher levels yet. A handful of guys who had been tested pretty high up in the organization. Uh, Dustin Beggs was someone that was drafted and developed by the organization since 2016. He had made it all the way up to AAA last year. He had a small injury during the season. Otherwise, I wonder whether he would have snuck on to the major league roster at some point. Not not all that sexy of a skill set, but someone that had just been performing pretty adequately well and had been shown up until his most recent injury that he was a pretty durable guy. And I saw him pitching in Australia over the winter as well. I wasn't quite sure what that was about. But he he was a guy that was in the organization for a number of years. And uh, Justin Twine, Justin Twine was a former second-round draft pick who was a two-sport athlete in high school back in 2014. And (laughs) he had a really fun run with AA Jacksonville in 2018 where he only made it up to AA after four-plus years in the organization and then he he went up and he you couldn't get him out. He hit over 400 at double A with an OPS over 1,000 playing middle infield positions for them. His 2-0. Swing and this is driven. Going into right center field. This will fall for a base hit. Roll to the warning track. Bounce up against the wall. Duval scores. Here comes Harrison. He'll score. This game is tied at four. Justin Twine drives in two with a double, and it's a 4-4 game, bottom of the 10. And he suffered a wrist injury at the end of that, and then he came back in 2019, and the magic was gone. Maybe It was kind of fluky when you dug into the stats a little bit. Overall, his, his minor league career, he simply just wasn't, wasn't performing all that well on either side of the ball. Uh, someone that they hoped would be a shortstop and never really demonstrated the ability to, to stick at that position. But uh, a very interesting guy who's only 24 years old because he was drafted out of high school. So even though he'd been in the organization forever, he, he still has some professional baseball left in him, if not. And it's worth noting that, I mean, some of the names that I figured out in this process were ones that came onto my radar because even before we knew they were re- released by the Marlins, they had signed to play indie ball with the American Association, the first baseball league that's going to come back in the U.S. this year is the American Association on a 4th of July weekend, just a few days from now. And some of the guys that already signed with them are include Dustin Beggs, uh, Mackenzie Mills, Mackenzie Mills, the left-hander who they acquired in the Justin Bohr trade, and J.C. Milan, who's the utility infielder. All those guys are going to be on the field in the American Association. No, I think, of- I think you kind of... Nailed it, nailed it in terms of the guys that, um, you know, 
kind of jump off like, okay, that was a bit surprising. I think the biggest one was Mills. Um, he didn't perform great last year, so to say, but uh, like you said, he was traded for Justin Bohr, and at one point or another, he was on the Marlins' top 30 list um, that had some, you know, some talent and some projectability to be kind of, you know, a, maybe a relief arm down the line. Um, that one definitely took me by surprise. Milton Smith took me by surprise coming off the great year he had last year. Also felt really bad for my boy Pac-Man on Twitter about that. That's his boy. So that one kind of hurt. But, um, I, I, you know, the Marlins got to do what they got to do at this point. And the reality of the situation is that um, the, Marl- the minor leagues are going to be shrinking. And um, it's a tough financial time to run a baseball team right now. And this is just the business side of it. Uh, it breaks my heart to see these guys get cut. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's just sadly the reality of this year. And you're going to lose a lot of guys that have talent, that have fun stories um, from their time in this organization. Um, and it sucks. Um, and that's the reality of this year. Side of it is watching a lot of, you know, the guys that, we watched and hoped for, um, you know, have have their time in the Marlins organization uh, come to an end. And I'm not crying, even though I sound like I might be, but just kind of touchy subject. But I'm not that emotional about it. But it it it's definitely a, you know, it's a tough thing to see happen. Yeah, well, we should shout out a lot of organizations that have done pretty good work in supporting minor leaguers. Uh, both during this and also before this for years, understanding that these guys, even when they are playing minor league ball, affiliated ball, like sorely underpaid for guys that most of whom have some sort of potential and of course had performed well during their amateur careers and deserve to be invested in like pay like a decent living wage and put into better working conditions and major league baseball have emphasized that they drastically want to reshape the minor leagues in order to improve pay on an individual basis, in order to upgrade facilities from the affiliates that remain in minor league baseball. But uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of work to do in order to like make it a really reasonable developmental system in a, in a place that like athletes want to, uh, want to explore when, when players are, when, I should say when athletes are playing multiple sports growing up and trying to decide what sport they want to go to. It's one of the big disincentives for baseball is the entire minor league baseball system as we know it and all the time that players have to put in while they're developing developing and it would be all worth it if the kind of if the living conditions on the way up through the system were more tolerable and so that's like a big change that's going to have to come to to baseball if it's going to continue being a sport that attracts the best possible talent from all corners of the country and all corners of the world but it is it is a little refreshing that some of those players immediately hooked on with indie ball teams right before we started recording ethan you were the one that tipped me off to this report from baseball america about how even all the players that didn't get released the ones that are still playing with um, within major league organizations have now this flexibility to latch on with independent teams without actually without actually becoming free agents they're able to remain part of major league baseball while still playing at these indie leagues and still getting paid for it. There's not all that many leagues that I think are operating under these conditions. I mean, just like major league baseball, there's all sorts of obstacles that they have to uh, account for when it comes to keeping everybody safe in COVID-19 in order to try to run games that are profitable for them in order to make it a sound business decision on their end as well. But that's going to be, that's going to be pretty wild, isn't it? To be checking in with like independent leagues, and seeing potentially some recognizable prospects actually popping up in all corners of the country just in order to get some reps in and hopefully improve their stock for for other teams that might be looking at them moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that a, a little bit of it is kind of MLB outsourcing the what do we do with minor leaguers problem to other sources. But at the end of the day, the result for the players is a big positive um, it gives them an opportunity to go get consistent playing time somewhere to supplement their income. Um, obviously, those are both sorely needed right now, so I think that's good. 
And um, if this is a route that a lot of players choose to take, it could create some pretty cool spectator environments too. I mean, you could potentially be getting almost like an Arizona Fall League atmosphere at an independent ballpark. Uh, not that there would necessarily be spectators there. Uh, I'm not sure how that'll all go, but um, I know that a lot of the independent leagues do uh, stream online, so it could potentially be a, a pretty interesting kind of secondary viewing experience uh, this summer if, if it ends up coming to pass. Yeah, it, I think it would be good if, um, you know, especially for a team like the Marlins, who, you know, will suffer so much from not having guys have a minor league season um, to let guys just go play baseball. Um, and especially if this is going to become a trend, then they'll start actually facing legitimate competition. Um, and you can take it as not a wasted year. You know, you can see them actually um, get some good time to develop and get some good ABs that um, they might be getting on a normal basis. So I think if you see, you know, a kind of uh, like um, migration of all these minor leaguers to one then that could be really good and yeah like spencer said it could be end up being like an arizona fall league um and that could be awesome because the arizona fall league is exciting and is big for um guys development and i think that's the biggest worry right now is how much development um will be losing because of the year there were there were rumors from baseball america not that long ago about the potential of having an arizona fall league still conducted this year and expanding it and having it both based in Arizona and in Florida. But as we all know, unfortunately, those two states in particular have had a lot of trouble containing the pandemic with their cases rising a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's enough trouble just to make sure everybody is safe as possible in these major cities, um, it's going to be even more difficult to handle a larger number of players in all these spring facilities in those two states. So uh, I, I guess... I haven't heard an update on that report in a, a week or two. Not sure how feasible it is, but if they were somehow able to coordinate that, that would be a huge win, of course, to be able to have those guys play in a, a major league sanctions system. And, uh, but just finishing up on a positive note, um, there is, um, I guess there, there wasn't really much doubt in the first place, but it does seem that according to Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline, he just confirms kind of what we expected, that all these pending draft pick signings are going to happen that to his knowledge, there's not really anybody that will have any difficulty signing with the teams that drafted them this past year. Um, the Marlins, I bring that up just because the Marlins at this moment are one of maybe two or three teams in the entire league that haven't actually finalized any of their contracts with any of their six draft picks. And um, we've been seeing these reports like trickle in a couple every single day about the specifics of the signing bonuses that these players received. And uh, they've had, we believe that they've had deals in place to some extent with all these players for a couple of weeks now, but it will be, it's going to be a nice sigh of relief to actually see them in Marlins uniforms or in Italy, you know, the spring training uniforms and have those deals done. Spencer, of course, you paid closer attention to this draft process than just about anybody. Um, do you think there's, uh, in terms of right behind Meyer, which of the five other Marlins draft picks do you think has a chance of being added to the player pool before the end of the year? Because we know with the exception of Dax Fulton, the other four are all four-year college pitchers. Yeah. A lot of experience playing in both during the NCAA and for a couple of them also pitching in, in Cape Cod as well. Um, which outside of Max Meyer, who we've already talked so much about, um, which one of those guys is – in your estimation would be closest uh, to being major league ready or just further, further along in their development and that it might make sense at some point to sneak them into that player pool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably got to be Jake Ader uh, for a couple of reasons. I think you could also make a case for McCambly, but um, with Ader, you're getting a guy who has been under the spotlight for years now. He was a high profile prep prospect did the whole showcase circuit played, um, you know, on the biggest stages that the prep level has to offer. He went on to Vanderbilt, played at the biggest 
uh, college program in the country, played in the College World Series, so on and so forth. So I don't think that there's really any stage that's going to be too big for a guy like that, even the major leagues. Um, and from an on-the-field perspective, I think that it's most likely that the Marlins will try to develop him as a starter, and I think that's worthwhile. Um, but he did pitch pretty extensively out of the bullpen for Vanderbilt. Um, he has experience in that role, and I think that if you wanted to fast-track him as a reliever, he wouldn't take too long to get to the big leagues. Um, I don't think that he has quite the massive upside of like Max Meyer out of the bullpen. I think he'd be more of like a seventh, eighth inning guy than um, a ninth inning guy. But I, I don't think it would be a huge stretch to put him in the pool with some of the other names that are on there. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to follow all along the way. There are a number of conditions that can lead the Marlins to making changes in their player pool. And uh, we'll be, of course, covering all those on fishstripes.com. And everything on the prospect side we'll still be doing here um, as these players report to the pool. Where we'll be sure to coordinate some interviews finally with, with some of these prospects, get to know them a little better and how they handled this extremely unusual situation and how they're staying ready and how they still feel about their long-term career goals. And it's just going to be very refreshing to finally get actual baseball activities started all over again. So we'll be covering that here. You may have noticed, you the listener, that Ian dropped off the call about 50 minutes ago. He's he's doing okay, just some technical issues, and he'll be back with us, I'm sure, on our upcoming episodes as well. So with Spencer Morris, with Ethan Badowski, I'm Eli Sussman, and we'll speak to you again real soon here on Earning Their Stripes. Go Fish. <laughs>